Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. It's genuinely, it's such an honour uh, to be here. It feels a bit like coming home when I, whenever I'm at the Message in general, but especially when I'm here for prayer days. I moved to Manchester 11 years ago because God told me to go to Manchester and plant a church. And we arrived in Manchester. Uh, we, we only knew a couple of people. We had enough money to survive for a couple of months. And we were like, what are we going to do? And I had a grant give me some money and say, you can work for anything you want to do for the next couple of months. What do you fancy? So I remember giving Simon a call and saying, hey, you don't know me, <laughs> um, but I love Jesus and I'd like to volunteer my time and I'll be free, which was kind of quite important to Simon, I think. And, uh, and then, yeah, ended up getting involved right here. First thing I did when I got to Manchester, straight in the prisons. And it, it always feels like coming home ever since then. I now lead a church called Soul City, which is another reason why it feels a little bit like coming home because there's, there's a few of us here as well, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but I had, I had a thing a little while ago where I just felt like something was, you know, like something was missing. Do you ever get that? It's like there's something that just isn't quite right. And I did that kind of like reflection of my life and I was like, good beard, check. Man bun, check. I was working in lots of coffee shops, check. And I was like, what, what's wrong? There's something not right. And then I realized I didn't have a record player. And I needed a record player to be a true hipster. It was the only way it was ever going to happen. And so I bought this record player, which cost me like, I don't know, like 30 quid tops. And it was the cheapest one that I could possibly find. But it genuinely has changed my life. I mean, Jesus is great. The record, no, Jesus is still better. But um, this record player is amazing. I now come home from work. I've had a hard day. I'll just take out a record, stick it on, and, I, and it just transforms. It's not going to play. It's not plugged in. You're all looking really expectant. That's the worst reaction to the beginning of a talk I've ever had in my entire life. Start with disappointment, and we'll just work up from here, shall we? <laughs> Hilarious. Um, but genuinely, it's changed my life because I put that on and it, it transforms the environment. I get home, had a hard day, pour myself a glass of whiskey, put some country music on. Not, not that kind of country music, like the good kind of country music, like that kind of Americana, old country. And I just sit back, relax, and it's amazing. And then Emma comes home from work, my wife, and she's like straight away rips that record off and sticks on Frank Sinatra. And then she just wants to kind of like groove around the house and she relaxes in a different way. Even those two steps show people why I never dance. Like it's just not in my DNA, but she loves it. She'll dance all the way around the house and it's beautiful and she'll sing. And then my son Cole, he's eight years old. He comes in the room and he's like, no way, mum. Rips that off again and he gets David Bowie. 
put some Bowie on there, Moon Age Daydream, and then he's dancing, and Leo's dancing, and it is absolutely amazing. We love it. It has changed our home. And I wanted to tell you today that I think you are this record player. There is a record that is playing in your life, and everyone around you can hear it. And the record that you choose to play in your life will transform the environments that you're in. And you only get to choose one record that you can play in your life. And the people around you know the record you're playing because they hear it in the way you speak. They feel it in the way that you interact with them. It changes your work. It changes your home. It changes your street. And right now, at the beginning of 2020, we have this amazing moment when we're all looking forward to a new decade. And I think that there isn't a more important question that I could ask you today than what is the record that is playing in the center of your life? What's the soundtrack of your soul? And I think that if you get this right, it's like everything else genuinely just clicks you know, it doesn't matter if you mess up, it doesn't matter if you fail, you'll be okay if the record is right in the middle of your life. It doesn't matter if you hit tough situations, it doesn't matter if, if surprises come your way. When you've got the right record playing, everything just clicks, it just falls into place in a beautiful way. But the problem is... I think most of us, if we were to plug this in and if we were to play this track, for most of us, what it would sound like is me, 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 me. I love me, 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 me. Look at me, 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 me. Look at me, 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 me. I want your attention. All of the time, me, 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 me. And I think that's a tragedy. And the crazy thing is we live in a culture that doesn't just validate that, they, they celebrate it. You know, and we, we hear people talk like this, you know, all you need is to love yourself, then it'll all be okay. Just love yourself and that's brilliant. You know, follow your dreams. You know, if you, if you just work hard enough, if you engage yourself, if, if you just do everything that you need to do, you will be all right. And we have this kind of culture that just says you need to love yourself. You need to put yourself first. And we celebrate people like, look at him. He had adversary, but he did it his way. And now we're back to Frank Sinatra with my wife. But it's like we celebrate that, don't we? And yet the Bible tells us something completely different. See, I read in the Bible, in Proverbs, it says this. It says, pride leads to destruction. Me, 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 me doesn't lead to fulfillment. It doesn't lead to happiness. It leads to destruction. The message paraphrases this in a beautiful way. It says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Whenever I read this verse, it always makes me think of my mate Terry. Uh, I remember growing up with Terry. We were going down a road one day on bikes, and he saw these girls on the side of the road, and he, did, he was like, no hands. Hello, ladies. And went like that, straight into a lamppost. 
fell off his bike and I was, everyone's wetting themselves laughing. He got to be the center of attention. But I don't really think that's what this verse means. It's not saying if you try to get everyone to see you that you'll just trip up. What it's talking about is this attitude of the heart which wants the whole world to rotate just around you. And it's, it looks really different in different people. It's quite hard to spot. You see, one person comes into the room and they want to help absolutely everybody all the time because it's all about them. Another person won't help anybody any of the time because it's all about them. One person wants to be the center of attention. They want you all to look at them because it's all about them. The next person can't be in the center of attention ever at all because they're so fixated on what everybody thinks about them. You can have the opposite actions, the opposite behavior, but something in the heart is exactly the same. It's this tune that says it's all about me. And I want to, um, I want to unpack um, the Bible because that's what we do in these times, I think. And if you've got one, I'd love you to find the book of James. And uh, we're going to jump in at chapter 4. And um, uh, James chapter 4, here we go. It says this, it says, What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others do have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. See, what, what he's saying is that that there's a lot of us here who, who, who don't pray. We, we, I mean, we don't pray at all. And the reason why we don't pray is because really we think we've got everything that we want anyway. We don't really need God to do anything more. I've already got my car. I've already got my home. I've got my meals every single day when I get back. I'm doing pretty well. And so we don't pray. And then he says there's other people who do pray, but they don't get what they want because they've completely misunderstood what prayer is. And then those people get frustrated and they start saying that prayer doesn't work. But they're wrong. Prayer does work. Pride doesn't work. You see, we, we mistake God for this kind of waiter, like, yes, sir, what can I do for you today? And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. I'll have some McCoys and um, some water, please. And we think that he's just here to serve us. That, the, that he's coming and saying, yes, Ben, tell me your will today. And we completely misunderstand what this relationship is supposed to be. We shouldn't be going into prayer saying, God, do this for me. God, do that. God, I want a new job. God, I want a new situation here. God, I need a new wife. Lord, I pray that the that the woman I'm to marry will sit next to me at prayer day. So, and, then, and then you sit and you don't look. Don't look at her. So I've, I've never suddenly seen people suddenly go, eyes straight face forward. Like, 
Maybe, maybe if you do look, and they look too, that no, don't. Um, but we want him to answer our prayers right now, and then when he doesn't, we get completely confused. We get completely frustrated, and the reason why we get so confused is because we've misunderstood our relationship with God. We think that it's all about us, and it isn't. And he continues in verse 6, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know that word opposes, it literally means sets himself aggressively against. I mean, I don't, I don't even need to read any more. The moment you tell me that God is setting himself aggressively against me when I make myself the center of the world, I mean, I don't want that. I don't need that. And it's because we don't realize how devastating pride is. And we don't realize the power of humility. God aggressively sets himself against the pride, proud. I've seen, um, I've seen so many families wrecked by pride. I've seen so many churches fall apart, divided by pride. Like lives are destroyed because of pride. I heard someone say a while ago that pride is like a kraken, you know, like that sea monster. It never takes out one person, it'll take out the entire ship. That's what your pride does. It won't just hurt you. It'll hurt your wife, your husband, your kids, your mum, your dad, your friends. Those people you're going, you're trying to help. Your pride will undermine everything that you want Jesus to do. Because Jesus is opposed to pride. He continues, so humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I think that the, the, the problem is we don't understand humility. We think about humility and, and we think about that old lady in the church in the corner with the tray who's kind of there bringing stuff, and like, that's, that is humility, but, but we think that humility means that we can't have vision. We think that humility means we can't have big prayers or big dreams. And, and we find ourselves like arguing against ourselves. Like the other day I was, I was talking at church and I was like, do you know, we're gonna be a church which transforms not just Stockport, not just Manchester, but this nation. We believe that God has called us, yeah, to plant a big church, like Andy was saying, but not to stop at one. Do you know what? I don't ever want to stop until there's no jobs for people like Andy, where every evangelist has to look around and go, there's no one left. We'll have to become pastors. Like, that's what I'm looking to do. One day, when my vision is complete, you're all becoming pastors. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to have so much fun. We're never going to stop. And you know, I say things like that and I start talking about movements. I start talking about thousands of people meeting Jesus and I have this voice inside my head. Do you know what it says? It says, who do you think you are? 
Who do you think that you are that you're going to have an impact in other people's lives? Who do you think you are that you're going to plant a movement of churches? Like you need to be humble. You need to look at yourself. And it's, it's because we don't recognize what humility means. Do you know what the Bible says? It says that the humble are bold like lions. When you're humble, you should be able to pray the biggest prayers because it isn't even about you. You should be able to follow the greatest visions because they don't depend on you. It isn't about whether I get a position or not. It isn't about whether I get fulfilled or not. It isn't about whether I get everything that I want right now or not. Humility is actually the key for impact. It's pride that gets in your way. That voice that's telling me that I should be quiet is the voice of pride. And it's the voice that's intended to limit me from every single thing that God wants me to do. You know, you can have a bad start. You can have the worst history. You can have everything go wrong at every single stage. But I'm here to tell you it's not even about you. God will use your mess. He will use your trials. We've got all the cliches. And, and the, the crazy thing is we'll tell other people then, right? We'll tell other people, do you know what? You know, God is strong in your weakness and then we will work ourselves to the bone so that we never have to be the one that is weak. And then when we do trip and we do fail, we suddenly like we get upset with ourselves because we thought it was about us. And I find that I keep trying to put the right record on the player and it's like I turn around and all of a sudden over my shoulder, me, 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 me. It just keeps on turning back. And so we have to keep on intentionally flicking that record back and saying, it's not about me. My life, my vision, my purpose, my attitude, my joy is not about me. And so I want to, um, I just want to give you some choices that, that I kind of see in this text that I think will help define whether your life, whether your soundtrack is going to be singing your praises or Christ's praises. And these are records that I think we should be playing in our lives. So the first one, um, which is actually my son's, If you do take notes, you can write this down. We have to choose between filters and freedom. Are we going to choose filters or freedom? James continues. He says, let there be tears for what you have done. Verse 9. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Let there be gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. I think that sometimes we need to hear this, that it's okay to not be okay. We all hear that sometimes. But what I want you to know today is that it's okay to be okay. It's okay to be average at stuff. You don't have to smash everything all the time. You don't have to be the best at absolutely everything. It's okay to just have an okay day. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's okay to be okay. And it's okay to not be okay. I find that um, there's two versions of myself. 
There's the version that I want to show the world, the version where I nail it all the time, the version where I'm amazing. And then there's the real version, the version that I try and filter out, the version that I try to hide away, the version that I don't want you to see, the version where somebody says, hey, if you want to respond to this message, come to the front. And I'm there and I'm like, oh, what if people notice me? Uh, and the version where I, I come and I speak to people and it's like the internal part of me is like, look at their faces. No one's laughing at any of your jokes anymore. You, you must have messed up. And it's, you have this internal version of yourself and then you have the external version as well. And we love showing people the external version, but we hate showing the internal version. And what I need you to realize is that pride costs us authenticity. And the authenticity is like the currency of the Holy Spirit. Unless you are truly you, you will never see the Holy Spirit move in the way that you want him to. You know what? God is not going to fix what you will not face. You need to remove your filters. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Peter. I love him because he's one of the few guys I read about who seems to mess up more than me. And that gives me some hope. And uh, one of my favorite stories is the story of Jesus walking on the water. I think most of us know this story. And, uh, and it's a crazy story. Jesus, so basically Jesus has decided he's going to just walk past them in a storm and leave the disciples in a storm, like crying like children, completely terrified. And then he has this kind of compassion and he goes to them. And Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. And what does he say? Like, if it's you, call to me and I'll come out to you, which is madness. But love him, because he then does it. And see, when I hear preachers preach about this story, it always seems to sound the same way. They always describe this walk on the water as almost like, I think of it as being like the cocky strut of faith. So they describe Peter and they're like, Peter had great faith and so he went on the water and he was like, all right, Jesus, how's it going? Didn't expect to see you out here. And there's like this picture of faith as being this cocky strut. I don't think it was that at all. I think when Peter walked on the water, it looked like this. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Okay, one step. And that's really water. Yes, Lord Jesus. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. I think that it was like every step was terrifying. Every step was humble. Every step was just fully dependent on Jesus. And he's there walking one step, two step, three step. And then what happens? He takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink into the water. I mean, and, and we then, preachers, we then criticize this guy, right? Like we're like, oh, Peter, what an idiot. Like, don't be like Peter Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's kind of like the title of the message that we would then preach on. Don't be Peter, eyes on Jesus. And we criticize him. Yet none of us, if we're honest, have walked on water. Yeah? Honest, honest, who's tried? Yeah? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Let's be honest. Every time I'm at the swimming pool, Lord, I have faith. <laughs> 
<laughs> doesn't work. I've never managed even one step, like well, maybe half a step. I've never got any further. Like Peter was amazing. And then Jesus sees Peter sinking in front of him. And what he does is he, Peter's down here and Jesus then gets his foot and he puts it on Peter's head and he pushes him down and he says, Peter, you idiot, don't ever try something like this again. Don't you know you can't walk on water? No, he doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? He puts his hand down, he helps him and he lifts him up and he restores him. And he has this amazing moment in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a lake, just him and Peter. Like, hey, Peter, what do you think went wrong there? What should we do next? Like, how's it going, buddy? And he just puts his arm around him. And the craziest part of this story for me is they've still got to get back to the boat. Like, they've still got to get back. And I just imagine it then, now he is still walking on the water, except Jesus' arm is around him. And he takes the step. And where he failed, all of a sudden now he's walking arm in arm with Jesus. And he gets back in the boat, and everyone's like, what was that all about? This is crazy. They head to the shore, and then what's the first thing that happens when they reach the shore? Straight away, they're out ministering to people. Do you know why this story is so important in the Bible? This story is the first moment when the disciples recognize that Jesus is God. Before, they thought he was a really brilliant teacher, albeit with some amazing tricks that he could do. They thought he was a holy guy. They loved him. But this is the moment on that boat when they say, you are the Christ. You are the one. This is the turning point in the disciples' entire journey with Christ. Why am I laboring this out? Why am I telling you this story? I need you to realize that your failure may be the very event that the people around you need so that they can see the power of God in their lives. What if that mistake that you never wanted to experience is actually the very thing which is going to show people the truth of who Jesus really is. You see, we hide this away, we try and not show people our weakness, but the truth is that you do find strength in weakness, not because you are strong, but because God will reveal himself in your brokenness. You don't always have to be nailing it, you don't always have to be killing it to reveal Christ. In fact, I'll be honest with you, the people who I resonate with the most are not the ones who are like, super Christians. They're not the ones who are amazing. They're the ones who are just like me. And I, I, I get those guys. And then when I see them, even in their brokenness, walking with Christ, even though it seems like he just let them down, getting back up again and saying, do you know what? My faith is built on stronger stuff than this. Those are the ones who inspire me to keep pushing, to keep going deeper. You have to choose though. Am I going to show them my filters? Or am I going to experience freedom? The next, the next choice. Who wants to hear what the next choice is? Yeah. Yeah. It comes courtesy of Jeff Buckley. Uh, it has nothing to do with the choice, but aptly named album is Grace. 
Side note to preaching, um, if you haven't listened to this album, you need to. Um, so, the next choice that you have in your life, will you choose to hate or will you choose to celebrate? Will you hate or will you celebrate? James continues, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave you the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Um, Have any of you had an old school friend send you a friend request on Facebook or something like that? I had one a little while ago, and uh, I was just working, doing something holy, I'm sure, and uh, popped up this notification, and the guy who wanted to befriend me was somebody who I knew from school, and if I'm honest, uh, he, he bullied me. He bullied me. Thank, thank you. Uh, it's okay, I was all right, I wasn't. Um, and when he came up with this notification, I had some really confusing emotions starting to go through me. And on one hand, I was curious, like I wanted to know what was happening with him. And on the other hand, I, there was a lot of bitterness. Just, I did, I, it surprised me. I was like, wow, I didn't realize I had that much evil inside of myself that I could just focus on one human being. And um, I decided to accept the friend request because I don't have filters. And um, he, 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 he wrote to me and I was like, hey, Andrew, how you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm doing good, thank you. Life's going okay. Um, just, um, just really just trying to recover at the moment. And I was like, ooh, recover? Like, this sounds really good. Like, maybe... He's uh, just had a car accident and he's disfigured or, or maybe he's in the middle of a divorce. I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I, I know, I know, but we all think this way sometimes. And I was like, yeah, this is really good. So I was like, I was then pretending a little bit and I was like, oh, that sounds really bad. Like, what, what's going on, mate? How's things going? What, what are you recovering from? And he said, um... He said, well, I just won a silver at the Olympics. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Like, of of all the people, he was the least sporty guy in the class. (laughs) Who would have known that those long, gangly legs and arms would turn him into, like, this expert martial arts guy, like, I didn't see it coming, but it just filled me with so much hate. And I think that we all have moments of this in our lives, because we do, we look at people, and we're like, I kind of want what you've got, plus er, like, not her, her, like, er, (laughs) you know, like, if if you're smart, I want to be smart, er, if you're clever, it's the same one, which is why I need to be smarter. Uh, if, you're, if you're attractive, I need to be attractive-er. 
If you're strong, I want to be stronger. If you're charismatic, I want to be charismatic. You see how it works? I want whatever it is that you've got plus her. Except when we're entirely honest with ourselves, what we really want is est. That's the dream, isn't it? I don't want to just be cleverer. I want to be the cleverest. I want to be the most attractivest. <laughs> it works, you get the point. We want, we want to be the best at absolutely everything. My wife always tells me, she says that the fastest way to destroy a good thing is to compare it. You know, scientific study that show that once you've compared anything in your life to somebody else, doesn't matter where you come, whether you think you're better than them or worse than them, you immediately lose satisfaction and joy. Immediately. That's why we say comparison is the assassin of joy. It it does something nasty inside of us. We start looking at other people's lives. And, and let's be honest, at the world we live in, it's like we don't even need to want to. It, it comes up, their filtered lives comes up on our Instagram story every single day. And it, and it fills us with something that I just don't think is healthy. And what we forget is that everybody else can see it. We think that we keep that poison hidden. We think that we just stuff it down and you know what, I'll just be okay. But they can see it, they can hear it, they all know it. And it becomes contagious. This is why sin is so deadly in every single situation. It's because sin is never individual. It permeates, it pervades, it moves between us and it creates an environment where misery moves. And I've, I've experienced this. I mean, I'm, I'm a church planter. I, I find it. I, I plant a church and we, we're like two weeks in and there's 10 of us and I'm looking at Audacious and going, oh, if only we could be more like those guys and have this amazing, huge, and, and, and I do it. I look at other church plants and I'm like, wow, if I only had their budget, then maybe we could do something. Uh, if I only had Daniel, I do have Daniel. If I, only had, <laughs> if I only had something else, somebody else, and there will always be something else that you will need. You will never be happy if you're comparing because it will never be enough. God had to teach me this lesson. And the way he taught it to me was he, he taught me to pray more. And so I pray for this guy whose name I won't tell you. And I, I, I realized that I was not in a healthy place. So I said, God, I pray that you bless him. Lord, I thank you for his Lamborghini. I pray you give him a second one. In the name of Jesus. That was a hard. I, I, I pray that you do bless him. I pray that you bless his family. I pray that you bless his relationship with his children. I pray that you bring him fulfillment. I pray that you reveal yourself to him so that he would know the greatest meaning of life is found in you. I pray that you bless him so abundantly that everyone around him is blessed too. I had to choose. Am I going to hate or am I going to celebrate? Am I going to start talking good about him? 
in public. I apologize if I haven't. Am I going to start praising him, encouraging him? Am I going to hate or celebrate? Final choice I want to show you today. In the sleeves of Jason Isbell. If you're going to get into country music, there's worse places to start than Jason Isbell. I'll just put that one out. This is the last choice, and I think this is the most important of them all. It says in verse 13, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going a certain way, we'll stay there a year, we'll do business there, make profit. How do you even know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like fog. It's literally here a while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Most important choice is, am I going to do things my way or thy way? It was his way, but thy just felt right. I don't know why. I felt like you were the kind of guys who'd appreciate that. <laughs> do you really know that God is good? Like, do you not just know it, but do you know it? When it matters in the hard times, in the tough situations, when you're trying to pursue your dream, the thing that you love the most, and he turns around to you and says, no, I don't want you to go near that. I want you to go over here. What do you do with that? What do you do when God doesn't lead you in the way that you want him to? Do you say, I'm going to go my way or thy way? I'm going to follow my gut. I mean, I'm responsible for my life. If, if I don't look after me, who else will? I, I, I know that you're calling me to this thing, but you forget God. Like, I've got kids. I don't know if you've met them before. They're really nice, and I want to feed them. I'm not going to trust you to feed them because I'm responsible for this. And, and what we do is we subtly reinforce that we are leading our own lives. That we are the ones who are good. And I think that we kind of feel like maybe God isn't actually that good. Like maybe he hasn't worked this all out. And this is what I, 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 I get. I get to chat to people about Jesus all the time. It's literally one of my favorite things about my job. I'll be getting a haircut, not very regularly. And um, they will say to me, what do you do? And I'll be like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a church leader. They're like, Really? I'm like, yeah, I'm a church leader. We, we, we meet in the cinema down the road. And they're like, really? Like, are we talking about the same things? And then I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. And I can talk about Jesus. And what I find is when I talk about Jesus, most people, like, they're not anti-God. Most people aren't hardcore atheists. They're agnostics. They just kind of work it all out. Um, few kind of fall off track when you start talking about Jesus, but if we're honest, most don't know enough about Jesus to know how controversial he can really be, right? They think that his surname is Christ. Like it's like he's just that guy, and, and that's fine. Uh, but it's when we start talking about church that, that they get all kind of weird with me. And that's why I find like that's it. I'm like, oh yeah, church is like amazing. And they're like, I don't get it. Isn't church just a bunch of people who are going to tell me how to live my life? Aren't they just the judgmental ones? Aren't they the ones who use caps lock too much on Facebook? Like, aren't those the guys who you're talking about? And I'm like, yeah, 
they're, they're amazing. They're so good. But what these people are really trying to say to me is I'm just not sure that, that the rules that you're talking about, that the life that you're talking about from the Bible is the best life. In other words, I don't trust God to be good. And they're like, well, maybe... Like maybe if, if we just tweaked the Bible a little bit, like if it, if it didn't say some bits. And, and don't, don't look at me as if I'm talking about other people who don't do this. We do this too. I think you do it too. You read a passage, you don't like it. What's the first thing you do? I wonder what that says in the Greek. <laughs> maybe there's a better translation. Let's see what Eugene Patterson has to say. Like, there must be somebody else who can phrase this in a way which means I don't have to do what this book is telling me that I'm supposed to do. And what we kind of think is that we know better than God. And I'll be honest with you, I would love to edit the Bible. I would love it. There's, there's so many bits I would just cut out. It'd be so easy. Do you know what? You don't need to pray. God just loves everyone and that's the end of the story. That would be so much easier for me than actually having to share something which resembles the truth. But I don't get to choose what the Bible says. I don't get to choose what God says or what God wants. He gets to choose that. I get to choose will I live my way or thy way. So I want to ask you, if you read the Bible and disagree with what it says, will you still do it anyway? Will you trust God and say, even though I don't get this, I choose your way. Even though this feels hard, I choose to follow you. And I think that the moment you do that is the moment you really discover who's on the throne in your life. I've got... um. On my arm, a tattoo, it says Matthew 6.33, because I want it to remind me all the time. It's seek first the kingdom and live righteously, and you'll have everything you need, uh, which is a poor paraphrase. I think that we believe that if we pursue everything that we need, somehow we'll get the kingdom and we'll get a good life. And God says the opposite. He says, prioritize me. Make me your vision. Make me your focus. Make me your heart. And you will get everything else that you need. Your dreams, don't worry about those. Provision, don't worry about that. All of this other stuff that you've got and, and you're concerned about what people think about you, what people are going to say about you, forget everything else. Focus on me above everything else. And all of a sudden, you will find that your world is flipped right side up. When you find God's right place in your life, you discover who you really are and everything else will fall into place. I've wasted years trying to get the soundtrack of my life louder so that people can hear more about me. Me, 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 me. And what I've come to realize is, at the root of it, it was because I didn't really know who God was. Not fully. I want to say to you today, if you think you need to fight for your own value, who's told you that you're not valuable? If you think that you need to push 
and battle for your own success, who do you think is going to define your success? If you think that everything isn't as it's supposed to be and that you're the one who's going to fix that, who are you putting your faith in? There is only one person we can put our faith in and that is Christ. You are unconditionally loved through him. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what people have said about you. It doesn't matter how hard it's been. It doesn't matter whether the mistakes were 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago. You're unconditionally loved. You don't need to perform. I want you to know you're totally forgiven. Christ's work on the cross is complete. You do not ever, ever need to add to it. I want to tell you that you are valuable just as you are. You know what? God knows everything about you. And He values you so much. He sent Jesus to die for you. You are so valuable. You do not need to add to your worth. It's impossible. The greatest price has already been paid. Your success will not be based on others. Your timelines don't need to be based on other people. Your victories don't need to be compared to other people. God is enough. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 